you know, there's always going to be smart people and brilliant people and beautiful people. And, but in the end, really what souls and addresses the issues of mankind are people who work hard and are persistent in determination to drive change and a difference. And I think the second is, um, and you know, obviously we've known each other a while, is around positivity, like, um, and and bringing positive energy. It doesn't. This doesn't mean you have to be a gregarious personality. It just means you 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 walk in with the art of the possible, and you're pragmatic and realistic, but that that you, you're not going to be a personality vampire. You're not going to suck the energy out of a room. But rather, you're gonna you're gonna leave that room better, better, more overflowing with positive energy than you found it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ad Blocking with Jason Dwayne Smith. The world around us is, well, different. We're living in a time that tests all of our boundaries and beliefs. It's not always easy. And sometimes, talking about ads is the last thing any of us want to do. Ad blocking is a podcast, a safe space, where real people, real marketers, talk about everything but advertising. Stories of growing up, coming out, falling down, and looking in. Underneath it all, we're all just humans. In today's episode, I speak with Rob Master, VP of Media and Digital Engagement at Unilever. Beyond sharing common Chicago roots, Rob and I share an enjoy of fatherhood, the passion for reimagining equity and access, and an appreciation for positivity. Rob is not only a hero of mine, but he's also an inspiration to many in our industry, in his home, and in his community. Our dialogue covers timeless words of wisdom, along with a new perspective on a brighter future that requires persistence, diligence, and resolve. I hope you all enjoy our discussion, even a small outtake at the end that I thought really shows Rob's true heart and soul. Excited for you all to hear. And with that, let's dive in. I was talking to my sister yesterday, and she is a big inspiration for me, Rob. I'll tell you why. You know, she works for the Chicago Transit Authority. I live in Chicago. Yeah. And before that, she comes from a background of... Um, nonprofit work. So she's one of those people that she looks at my job and she just kicks my butt every day. And she goes, now what you're doing every day doesn't mean a thing compared to how I'm living and breathing and creating change. And so I, I was asking her about how this year has affected her, how this year has left an imprint on her life and how she's thought about her relationships and contribution to the world. And you know, like I mentioned to you, it's a place I love to start with all my friends. I, I I love to hear from you, Rob. If you were to think about this year and how it's impacted you, what would that sound like? Yeah, so I think, um, so obviously 2020 has been a year unlike any, obviously, in our generation or probably the, gen, you know, 
um, have experienced. Um, you know, I, I think we kind of started off going into 2020 thinking we had like a bitter election ahead. I'm not sure who we knew who the Democrat was going to be at the time, but we, we knew that this is probably going to be a very unusual election and there was going to be a very partisan like 11 months in the runoff to the election. I think that was like the, the situation that we walked into 2020. And we're going to leave 2020 with, I think, almost four full-blown crises of sorts, mm. like legitimate mm. crisis. Um, and the first is this global pandemic and a health crisis, because make no mistake, it is an absolute um, of the moment health crisis. And I think we're only beginning to see the impacts, the lasting impacts of, of COVID uh, for, for, I think, years to come. Mm. Uh, and and not, not just in our physical well-being, but I think on our emotional well-being. The second crisis, I think, is the economic crisis. I think, um, unlike other economic downturns, this one is so bifurcated in that I think it really calls out the enormous in, inequality, not just in the United States, but around the world. And I think I think we're facing an enormous, enormous economic reckoning of sorts and crisis. Mm. Um, the third one, I think, is really around racial and social justice. So I think always under the surface, always there, particularly for people of color who lived it every day, I think um, it just it came out to the open in a way that I think just unlike any other ex public experience we've had um, in, in kind of recent history. And so I think we're seeing now this kind of racial and social justice. And I think, I think it's a crisis of sorts. Mm. And then mm. the last one, and it's more, more in the last couple of weeks is almost a constitutional crisis of just the, our way of being in our government. And I think that, um, I think that's, that's like another thing that's going to take us into the new year as well. So, you know, I think 2020 was started out for me a, a year of, I think, bracing what I what I thought was going to be a really bitter election and which it proved to be every bit of. Mm. And then on top, you had, I think, a host of other, I think, real crises that that cover every aspect of our society and I think our world. Um, you know, it's a great point. I, I've never heard anyone capture it in almost a four point diagram. And the last one is the most interesting one, to be frank. Yeah. is this reckoning with our constitution, how our country operates, how we interact with each other. And whatever your political beliefs are, Rob, you make a very good point. We are certainly at a point in time in which we're confronting some cold realities about the stability of that relationship. And one of the things that made me want to talk to you today, Rob, is how we met. You know, we met on a precipice of a dialogue about bridging the gaps towards positivity. That's how we met. Yeah. Yep. That was at the beginning of probably your first phase, which was almost forecasting some challenging times this year. But we certainly didn't know what it was going to look like. So I think I want to pivot into a question around if you look at your upbringing and the influences on your life that have helped you think about this in more of a positive light. Yeah. Every interaction I've had with you, Rob, has been, yes, this is the reality we're dealing with. It's not easy, 
but this is the right way to go about addressing it. And that's what you bring into the world, into your relationships. And I have to believe, while I know you're a pretty wonderful person, I got to believe it didn't happen overnight. So I wanted to pick your brain, Rob, on if you were to express your upbringing or major influences on your life that have kind of shaped the way that you're approaching this year with positivity. I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, I, I think, as you know, I grew up in, in Chicago, outside the city. Um, you know, I, I think I grew up in a bit of an unusual household back in the 70s and into the 80s where my mother worked full time. So I think, um, you know, our family dynamic, of course, today, that's much more common, but it really was the exception versus the rule back then. Mm. And I think that helped create a totally different family dynamic and a, and a different lens for which I view the world. Um, you know, our, our family dinners, which we had without fail Monday through Friday, it's just, that's the way it was. I mean, you know, we had our activities and our sports and our clubs, but it seemed to be there was like this respect for the family dinner at the time. Mm. So, um, it was a real special opportunity to like both hear like the going and comings of both my parents and kind of their professional lives. And we were kind of an actively, uh, you know, politically astute, I wouldn't necessarily call us politically active family, but politically and culturally astute family. And so uh, our dinners were oftentimes filled with kind of like active conversations around what was happening around us, both kind of in the world and our school, but also in like both my parents' professional lives. Both my parents worked in kind of the marketing field. So it was almost like a, um, and it's funny because my, both my brother and I also work in the marketing field. Mm. And so uh, maybe it was those, those early influences, but I think it was that healthy engagement and dialogue. And, and, and ultimately I think my mom played such an important role in that how I think about uh, females and equitable division of labor. And to me, it was just that, that was my lens. That's how I, that's how I grew up. Like, mm. you know, uh, you know, my dad, my dad did plenty around the, uh, around the house, but, um, and so did my mom, but it, it was just, I think back to like, I, these moments in time, these indelible memories of like doing sleepovers at friends' houses when I was a kid. And I would just, I was so in awe of the interaction between the mom, the, like my friends, mom and dads, it was just so different than what I grew up with in my household. Mm. And I just remember such, such differences and how they talked to one another, who did what, and, and uh, I did not, my household was not what you saw on television in the 60s and the 70s um, uh, broadly. So I think that was like an important part of how I kind of like was raised in the lens for which I view the world. And I had a close relationship with my grandparents as well. And they also, I think, were very different. You know, I had one set of grandparents who were like, you know, I'm, I'm originally from Canada. I was born in Montreal and we immigrated to the U.S. as a baby. But, uh, but, but my one set of grandparents were like second generation Canadians, like so North Americans. And, and the other were like, they escaped the Holocaust and where most of that side of the family perished. Um, so I, it's like you had a real sense of early on kind of like the difference between first and second generation. And, you know, you know, one set of grandparents drove and had like these very like, uh, you know, high paying professional jobs. And the other set of grandparents you know, never drove a car. Uh, English was not their first language. Uh, you know, my grandfather, he was a seamstress, like 
it's just a very different uh, perspective. And I was I was fortunate to have good relationships with both and kind of see and understand early on kind of the differences. Hmm. Um, hmm. So it helped a lot. Always thought about gender equity. And you've always thought about the power of women in our world, in our profession, and how we go about our daily lives. You know, I guess I just wanted to pick your brain on you know, now as we go into a 2021, you know, how have you thought about how we as men can be more accountable, more engaged, more sort of compassionate to what we experiences growing up? Equal household, mom yep. and dad kicking butt, making it yep. work. You know, I'll give you one stat. I'll give you one stat. And I, I'll tell you why I asked that question, because I'm listening to uh, the Daily from New York Times yesterday. Of course. I don't know if course. you listen to that podcast. I do. I do. Uh, it's, it's a fairly good one, you know, and they have seven numbers on COVID. One of the numbers was uh, of the 10 million unemployed. Yeah. 55 or 60 percent were women. Yeah. And I go, how crazy is that? You know, how crazy is that? And part of this because women are either taking time off from work, they, they, you know, they can't balance taking care of the kids at home caregiving. So it's a bit of a question that I just wanted your perspective on is, as we go beyond this, how, how should we be thinking about a better sort of paradigm between the genders and how we approach our homes, how we approach our work, how we approach our life, because I still don't think we're there, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. And I actually, you know, I talked before about the four different crises, you know, uh, one being the economic and how it's bifurcated and show this inequalities. Now, part of that inequality is it may be between the kind of the upper and lower class, but also it's between men and women. So I'm yes. glad you kind of cycled back to that because that's, that's one thing that the numbers are frankly staggering uh, how it's adversely impacted, how COVID-19 is adversely impacted. I think people of color uh, as well as women of all colors Um in large part because of how the dynamic of like in-home school and and what comes with a shutdown of a of, of society like we've seen, and it has required I think women in a in a way that for all the gains that they've made in terms of kind of jobs and economic security and independence have really taken a step back during this pandemic, and I think this actually has, has cast a light as to, I think some of the issues that remain between how the division of labor takes place. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that's gonna be one of the biggest issues we have to confront in 2021 and beyond, both as governments and as actually more importantly, as uh, uh, businesses. Cause in the end, I think the, the problems and these opportunities are really solved more by businesses than they are by governments. I think mm -hmm. just think about not to get, not to go too far off, but like, climate change or whatever term you want to use. I mean, this totally. is real. And I think the governments outside some broad-based agreements have really, it's been, it's been business who's taken up the task to address this issue. And I so really true. believe that, that businesses are going to be the one, the business community is going to be the ones to address, I think, this, this issue with kind of gender and the point you made about, about the statistics and how it's impacted women. And there's probably a host of things we could do between childcare and healthcare and uh, kind of work flexibility that I think needs to be done to bring um, kind of to bring this to order. Do you think a pivot on that? Do you think we'll change? Do you think as um, a community of citizens, there's this dialogue that happens every day, 
Yeah. Or there's a saying that happens every day that goes, return to normal, Rob. Return to normal. And here is my take on return to normal. I look back at 2019, 2018, 2016, 2002, 1998. I look at all those years and I wonder what is it about that time that makes us so hungry to return to it versus the opportunity to create a new cocktail of relationships, comfort, respect for each other going into the future. Yeah. And so it's like I told someone the other day, I go, I'm a big Michael J. Fox fan. I go, I'm not talking about return. I'm talking about back to the future. What does the future look like? How do we, how do we start to forecast what that looks like? So this is a bit of a sort of theoretical question, but go on this journey with me, Rob. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you think about, let's just play with this idea. Cause everyone's saying, you know, July is the milestone. That's when we'll be back in the office. You know, that's when, some magical pill is going to drop from the sky and everything's going to go back to normal. But let's just play with that milestone in your mind for it's not about work, not about office, not about a single issue. How do you imagine back to the future when we start to see a new opportunity in front of us? So I I love that. I think it's a, it's a great question. I love the framing on back to the future because that was, that too was one of my favorite movies growing up. Um, But I, I think actually, I think context is helpful in answering that Um, because it's funny. I think we're very nostalgic and I think we tend to um, think about the good times of yesteryear and sometimes erase, I think the pain and in many cases, the hatred and the violence that actually was part of our history. Um, And we, we focus on, I think as human beings, more often than not, the positive thing. So if you think about it, like even, you know, even our current president's, his slogan was to, to make America great again. Like, hmm. like there was like this point in time that we were great and we were not anymore. And and how far back do you go to when we were great? Like what what point what were we great and we're not anymore? And and I think um, you know, part of it is I think change is not easy. And history has shown us that we don't necessarily adopt well to change. It takes a lot longer to change um, just our basic perspectives on concepts and people. And I think if history has uh, taught us anything, it's that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with mm-hmm. that as a context, you know, I, I, I expect that as much as like we're in a moment in time now, and as you said, you're working from home, you're traveling less, you're spending more time with your nuclear family, you know, we, we are very, I think humans are very resilient. And, um, and as much as like moments in time affect us, I was living in New York City during 9-11. I feel like you fast forward uh, only a, a couple of years after, I think the city had a different feel and vibe. And, and certainly it was a remembrance of what happened. But I, I think a lot of the initial projections of how life were changed and things were changed did not come true because mm-hmm. in the end we thirst to like be around one another and, and engage with another in person. And so I'm very cautious on, on some of the things people are projecting suddenly out of the gate, because I feel like people are, there's a sense of nostalgic that we love. And there's also a, a sense of who we are to go out and explore and pioneer and change and be with one another. 
And so I think oftentimes this idea of nesting, which is the biggest thing, I think will have a role, but my sense is people will still want to, you know, come July or, or August or July, 2022, I think, I think what we'll see people kind of go back to a different, different context of sorts. Um, and we will not all be working from home still as much as like we found it efficient or, or nesting with just our nuclear family um, is kind of like my initial thought. Well, I wanna, I wanna really pick up on a, a word that you use, resilience. People underestimate that about us funny little species. You know, we can overcome a lot, especially when we're working together. Resilience comes from possibly enduring failure. Resilience yeah. comes from not always getting it right. So I, I guess I wanted to ask you, Rob, if you were to think back about your contribution to the world and how it may have been shaped by previous failures. And let me be clear on the word with you, Rob. When I'm saying failure, I'm not talking about someone judging you. I'm talking yeah. about in, inside of you. When you yeah. looked and said, I didn't meet my expectation, you know, I wanted to know if there were a story or a particular set of cir circumstances that may have represented failure to you, but, but shaped who you are today. If I think back to like the work environment, as we get older in a work environment, one, it's relationships. So it's like, yep. you, you know, uh, you have friendships or loves of your life and you love interests. And I think you learn from how you, about those relationships. And I think that's important is like, how do you then translate it? And I think about work, it's like you do a project or you have a campaign or whatever you're doing. It's like, it didn't go as planned. So you assess it and you think about the next time, what are you gonna do differently? And I think that's where, that's the most important thing I think today about failure is embracing it. Not so much embracing the failure itself as embracing how you're gonna deal with that failure. Mm. How you pick yourself back up. And, and I think being self-aware and recognizing that nothing is perfect, you're not perfect. And, and it's how you go about uh, getting, being better the next time, whether that's through preparation of any gift, you know, a host of different ways. I think it's um, it's a great share with me, Rob. And I think if you, you let me know if I'm catching the drift properly, it's grit. I know that word gets used a lot, but yeah. it is. It yeah. is. So I guess for me, you know, I wanted to ask you about sources of inspiration, you know, especially in these days, you know, yeah. I'm going through <laughs> every day I wake up. The other day I woke up, Rob. And I swear I said this, I said Groundhog Day. I'm like, is, yeah. is it Friday or is it Saturday? I, I don't know what day it is, but I have to approach every day as an opportunity for creativity and improvement, um, whether that be working out, whether that be some books I'm reading, yeah. whether that be conversations I'm having. You know, I just wanted to know for you in these times, what are you looking towards for inspiration to, to, to keep you inspired, to keep you positive, to keep you creative and, and, and inventing because we can't stop inventing during this time, yeah. right? Where are you looking for inspiration to, you know, keep the truck moving ahead and, and at full speed? So, uh, you know, there's it, actually a, a book, a couple of books that I, that I love and I think about all the time. Um, and, and one actually was a book that I read just early in my work career that really set me on a different trajectory, which was Dale, it's like a famous kind of book called Dale Carnery's How to Win Friends, Influence People. And yeah, great book. And it's an amazing book. I really, it's like if people ask me to recommend one book, especially for a young person, that's the book I'd recommend, especially for young people, where I think 
um, kind of everything is is like now done through the lowest common denominator or an email or a text. And it's like that book really takes about like how do you engage with people and and of course there's an alternative mode that influence them, but really at its heart, it's about how to, how do you think about personal connections and the power of personal connections. So you know, I actually, I actually had the book and it's highlighted. I, and I'm mm. on uh, like a second version because I did this in like the early 90s. Someone like a, a former like manager of a place I worked recommend that book to me. And of course, it's a famous book at that time even. So I remember read, reading it. And I was like, this is amazing. I highlighted and it really became like a real important part of my early career. And even like years later, I went to business school and we had this almost like a traditional book report in business school about a business mm. book. And I picked mm. that book. I reread it again. Mm. And, and then I, and then probably like four or five years ago for a work-related uh, training, I read it again. And it's funny because when you read it now, you realize, you know, you're more, we're more mature now and more experiences. It's a little bit like, I look at it a little bit with more of like a crooked eye than maybe I did when I was idealistic back the first couple of times I read it. But it, the, the core holds true about relationships and connections and the importance of that. And to your point, it's totally undervalued. Um mm. You know, another one, I, uh, when I walk, I listen to podcasts, and I found this podcast a couple of years ago, recommended it's called Spectacular Failures. Have you heard about this one? I have not. Tell me A more. woman named Lauren Ober is her name. She's a terrific personality, really fun to listen to. And she takes these iconic American companies that have failed, whether it be Kodak or Blockbuster, I'm not sure she did Blockbuster, Kodak, or there's a host of different examples. And she breaks down kind of like what happened to these companies and why they failed. The range of things from the leadership to the not being able to pivot to adapting the future. And I just, I, I love, because it's to your point about failure, it just, it helps us experience and see failure and like what happened, how it could have been prevented. So that's one I love as well. Oh my gosh, man. Um, I want to, I want to stay on the, uh, the book though. So with you having, little wild card question, but with you having two boys, do you talk to them about the importance of relationships at this age? And because, you know, you're, I, I have a very strong opinion on something. And that is when I hear people reference Gen Z, whatever generation, and they judge these generations, it drives me nuts because I go, how easy is it? How easy is it for us to forget our flaws when we were younger? Right. There's no magical uh, behavioral shift generation to generation. There's just a magic in how short memories can be. But young people certainly benefit from guidance around relationship building, putting down the phone, picking up a phone or, or you know, finding a way to connect. But it becomes a lot harder, of course, under these circumstances. So uh, so maybe a bit of parental advice, I guess, is how have you talked to your kids about extending that value and relationship building, because you're right, it's extremely important. Yeah, it's something, so, you know, my, my wife also works um, and her job is very much built on relationships as well. Uh, she's a producer for the Ellen DeGeneres show, which has had its tough summer for sure. But um, she, she handles all the celebrity management and booking for, for mm. people who, jo- who go on the show. And th- that's a job that's really built on relationships. So it's like they have two parents who are like so uber into like relationships. I think we, we have no shortage of conversations and probably drive them crazy on how we how we talk about the importance of personal connection 
and ping the phone down, turn off Netflix, turn off the devices. Um, we've been at times mildly successful, at times spectacularly failures on that journey. Um, but it's something that we are constantly striving and trying to engage with our children on is around the importance of personal contact and connections. And as you said, it's not easy these days, um, but I mean, the fact that they can both go to school half a day has been like a total game changer uh, for them. And, and something we, we, we're constantly talking about. I think, listen, one of, the, one of the big, you know, you have two boys. So one of the biggest mistakes you can make as a father of two boys is to think that your boys are the same. Yes. Oh, say that aloud, please get that in yeah. my head. Get that yeah. in my head, Rob. <laughs> so, um, you know, so it's, and, and they evolved dramatically over a course of a year. And I just think about my older son. I mean, he's just changed so much in the last 12 to 18 months in terms of how he, uh, in terms of relationships. And so uh, sometimes you think maybe you, you kind of push it or encourage it. And sometimes they just, they need to come to it on their own in their own time. And so uh, I think that that's like one of the, but, but, but I guess back to your original question is there's no shortage of conversation from both my boys' parents on the importance and valuing relationships and friendships and how you connect with other people. Well, listen, I mean, oh gosh, see, this is why I have to put a time limit on these conversations because I would keep you forever. But I wanna, when you talk about inspiration, I needed to remind myself of his name um, but I, do you mind if I share something that has inspired me and actually challenged me a bit, Rob? Sure, sure. Um, so did you ever watch The Sopranos when Sopranos was? Okay, all right. So um, you remember how late at night, Tony, he would sit in his little man den and watch these old war movies at night. Yeah, yeah. And when I watched that, I was probably, I wasn't a parent yet, so I didn't get yeah. it. I'm just like, this looks horrible to do. But now I don't watch war movies, but I watch a lot of nature, you know, on my own. And it, gi it gives me a lot of calm and it gives me just a lot of perspective. And sometimes I love what you, you said, something that no one has actually openly observed, but it's so true. We might be dealing with inspiration fatigue. Like there's just so much content out there that yeah. some days the inspiration is just quiet, quiet. Yes. Absolutely. And I like nature for that. And um, I'm late to discovering this, but something that has inspired me, I'm, I'm not going to remember the name of the show. So if it strikes a bell for you, maybe you can remind me. But the gentleman that is usually the voice for our planet, planet Earth, his name is Sir David Frederick Attenborough. Okay. And so he has a new um, Netflix show. And the Netflix show explores our human impact on earth from a climate perspective. And this gentleman is, I think he's 93 years old and he's walking the earth yeah. and he's, you know, engaged in our planet and helping many of us understand a perspective. So I'm just sharing this because it's something that I've been just challenge with this. I watched it. And what I learned was, I think when he started this journey with planet earth and telling these stories many years ago, the statistic that he references, the percentage of available natural land. And I think he started out with 
of all the natural land that's available for actual natural use, not humans, no buildings, no sort of uh, residential space or commercial space, think the number was somewhere around 65%. And as he goes through the journey, I think as of this year, the number is somewhere around 30%. Hmm. And the direct linkage to it with human activity. So I'm just being vulnerable on this podcast that I walked away from it and all the crap I talk about in terms of positivity and contribution to the world. One thing I have really been struggling with is my sort of footprint in terms of climate impact, um, environmental impact. You know, I told my wife, I go, yeah, maybe to some degree we're having less of an impact because we're not driving to work every day, but crap, how much stuff am I ordering from Amazon or how much stuff am I ordering from Walmart and what's all that mean? And I don't know. It's just been something that's really challenging me to think about, gosh, how can I use this moment to A, accept a failure that I have? Like, I got to forgive myself, Rob. Like, I can't be perfect, man. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> listen, man, I wish I could say that I was the most environmentally conscious person, but I am allowed to at least be awoken to yeah. something I'm not perfect to and start to create that change. So it's maybe a question for you doesn't have to do anything with climate, man. Yeah. Just during this year, has there been something that you've been confronted with in terms of, hey, I'm not perfect with that, actually. Hmm. Maybe I've even overlooked the value of that to other people. And I'm okay with it. I got to forgive myself. I can't be perfect. Rob Master, I can't be great at everything. But now yeah. that I know I've underserved my community or my environment or people around me in that category, I want to make a change. Have you had any experience or sort of reflection like that, that has maybe caused you to take a different approach to how you move ahead. Yeah, I mean, almost like all of the above on everything you've been referencing, I think. Um, it, 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 one of the things you said about what have we learned in 2020, I think it's the interconnectedness of society and people from health to economics, to kind of racial and social justice. I think all those crises that I think have shown how vulnerable and how connected we all are. And I definitely have kind of come and come to terms with all of that. Um, mm. You know, I, I think that's a, I'm, I'm a white male and um, you know, I, I don't have a problem recognizing that um, there's white privilege and certainly for mm. a white male. I, I just, I, I don't, um, I'm trying to think if like before May was I cognizant of, and I think I was, but maybe not to the degree I think the uh, post May George Floyd incident has has kind of raised the issue. Um, you know, it goes back to what I thought I was saying before, but you know, we're all nostalgic, um, and I think I think change doesn't happen quickly or necessarily meaningfully if we're left to our own devices. I mean, we're mm. comfortable. That's a human nature. We're comfortable with who we are and our surroundings. And I think getting people to change and adapt is not easy. As I, as I said before, history has shown that time and time again, that, um, and so, you know, I, I think if, I think so often you need to make a concerted effort to make change. And I think, listen, everyone's up for, not everyone, but I think it's much easier to expand the pie and you make a concerted effort to do different things to expand that pie hire differently, yeah, you know, making sure that not everyone kind of like uh, talks and sounds like you and, you know, you're making these concerted efforts to do so. 
and, and that's about expanding the pie. I do think there are some zero sum games mm. that, that are part of this change and people have to give up opportunities, I think, and provide others with opportunities. And I, and I think, um, so that's something actually I've done personally, you know, I'm, um, I've been a longtime board member uh, for two big work organizations. One is the Association of National Advertisers, the ANA, and the other is the Ag Council Board. Two board memberships. I represent Unilever. I've done for almost 10 years and have loved both organizations. I take enormous pride in my representation for Unilever uh, and those boards. And over the summer, I had my own kind of awakening of sorts um, because this is not something that, that just multiple people can be part of. It's one person from each company. So I actually, I stepped down from both boards over the summer and I wow. asked two different uh, black women who are brilliant and amazing and I think have such important voices uh, and unbelievably capable um, to actually take my roles on those boards or take, not my role, take the Unilever role and represent Unilever. And so they, they are both now, we have a woman who's on, the a board and a woman who's on the ad council board, both women of color, uh, because I feel like I'm an ally, but being an ally isn't always enough. It just isn't. And in some cases, we have to make personal sacrifice and decisions for others. And I think, I think um, that's, that's an example for me, uh, uh, just one example of, of, of something I came to the conclusion over the summer that I need to give someone else a seat at the table, someone else a voice. And it's funny because when I did it and it kind of got out there, a number of people asked me, because Unilever is a progressive organization, did Unilever force you to do that? Unilever make you do that? And I said, I mean, absolutely not. Like it was, it was like not even, I mean, maybe at some point Unilever, and I've been there for 20, almost 20 years, has certainly influenced my thinking and my fairness doctrine. But, but Unilever, had, it was no pressure, nothing from Unilever. It was that I felt like in the moment in time we're living that, People have to make sacrifices. Not everything is expanding the pie. So that, that's just to give you a sense for just some of the experiences I'm seeing and, and living. Gosh, Rob, well, look, that's why we're here today. I mean, I hope that I can call you someone that I look up to. I mean, you inspire me to find a way to be an active participant in what the future looks like. I remember on this call we had this summer, I'm actually looking at my notes. I took notes from that call. And I yeah. want to tell you something. I took a note on something that you said on that call. And that's why we're here today. And that's why I've really come to admire what you do and what you represent. And the thing that you said on that call, it was three words, be the change. That's what you said on the yeah. call. when We were all dialoguing about what it looks like. And I, I you know, you're very kind. I don't think you interrupted anyone, but I think you just step up and said, be the change, represent the change. Okay. It starts with you. It starts inside of you and hearing that type of story, which I'm sure is just a fraction of the stuff that you're doing in your world and your life. That is a inspirational. Um, and it's also foundation building, resetting the foundation, you know, reimagining what the pie looks like. So I want to maybe close with one last question, which takes advantage of the positivity and the progressiveness that you bring into our world, Rob, is what are rules or a code that you live by? You know, if you were to think about 
if I summed up Rob Master and how he represents himself and his values to the world, what would that sound like? What is that mantra for you? Yeah, so I think um, I think like two two expressions. Um, one is the importance of kind of hard work and persistent determination. You know, Cal- Calvin Coolidge was, I think, the 30th president of the United States, wasn't known for much, except he had some amazing quotes. Um, and one of them was about the importance of hard work and the persistence and determination, how that's omnipotent. And that's really how we solve our problems of the world. Um, you know, there's always going to be smart people and brilliant people and beautiful people. And, but in the end, really what solves and addresses the issues of mankind are people who work hard and are persistent in determination to drive change and a difference. And I think the second is, um, and you know, obviously we've known each other a while, is around positivity, like, um, and and bringing positive energy. It doesn't. This doesn't mean you have to be a gregarious personality. It just means you 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 walk in with the art of the possible, and you're pragmatic and realistic, but that that you, you're not gonna be a personality vampire. You're not gonna suck the energy out of a room, but rather you're gonna, you're gonna leave that room better, better, more overflowing with positive energy than you found it. And I think those are the kind of two things I really, really kind of think about our kind of persistent determination and kind of positive attitude and spirit. Um, because it's, it is not easy out there today. I mean, um, you, you talk about like rules you live by and you know, I think this is something this, and I think context and life stage matter a little bit. Um, you know, you, you kind of grew up thinking like the golden rule, treat others as you want to be treated, or or at a young age, I was taught there's three things you don't talk about. You don't talk about politics, religion, or money. Mm. Uh, and I think both those rules today, based on where we live, is just, I'm not sure they're like the rules anymore. Mm. Um, uh, you know, social media has changed that. I think there's this degree of uh, of cancel culture, um, and actually, I heard Obama actually. And actually, this was on the this was a great podcast. Speaking of the Daily, they talked about it. They did a two part on the cancel culture, and they mm. they traced it back actually to Obama's speech a couple of years ago, talking about the cancel culture. And then I think you have so you have you have you have social media, you have the cancel culture, and then you have the Trump era. And I think we're we're going to write and study this for years and decades to come about how we connect with one another. And so I I think, um, you know, how you speak in social media, 280 characters is not necessarily like, doesn't provide a full story, nor does a a Facebook post and, and, and sarcasm or jokes, or frankly, deep, meaningful statements can't come across that way. And it's easy to misinterpret or cancel or, or get into these enormous debates over posts. And, um, you know, I, I think to some degree, the idea of the, I'll end with kind of the golden rule is not necessarily so golden anymore. Like, like you know, like you could sit and try to treat others as, they, as you want to be treated, but people on the other side are not going to treat you that way. And, and the question is like, are you just going to like continue to follow that golden rule when others are not, like the golden rule to some degree, it relies on people collectively following the golden rule. Hmm. And, and I, and I really feel like today that's a challenge. And, and as much as I want, you want to be positive. And I think you have to like, it's about context to some degree. And so I, I think, um, I think you gotta stay, stay positive, but you gotta stay diligent and you have to stay vigilant. Um, 
to your environments and surroundings. And hopefully that, uh, you know, as we kind of enter the next phase of social media and culture and politics, that we'll get into a place that's smoother and, and um, a little more uh, dialed back on the tone of everything. Gosh, Rob, thank you so much. I mean, whew, I'm getting chills. Seriously, man. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I'm on the, thank you so much for yeah, spending well, time with me. Thanks for the today. conversation, Jason. I always enjoy chatting. Okay, I appreciate it. And, um, you know, I, this may not even make the final cut, but I just want to tell you first things first, man. Seriously, man, just keep whatever, whatever drink you're drinking or whatever, whatever <laughs> lotion you're putting, whatever, whatever, whatever you got, put it in the bottle. First of all, don't let it go anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you can share a little bit with me that I won't tell anybody. Okay. I'll keep it quiet, <laughs> man, Rob, just keep it going, man. I mean, man, I'm just happy. I got a chance to meet you, man. And I remember that call. I told myself, I got to find a way to just keep learning from you. And I learned a lot yeah. from you today, man. I just appreciate you, man. No. So actually, well, one thing we didn't talk about, um, it just didn't flow, but, 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 but a story I remember that, um, I just wanted to share with you as well that I, Please, I thought was, was very important to me. And it's something I brought back. And I think I emailed you about this was, um, you know, expand the pie. I guess it was on expand the pie and give people opportunities. It's, it's the right thing to do. But for many people doing the right thing is may not be enough. It's about business and results. And you, you actually said, don't make it about just doing the right thing. Make it because that's how business, how you grow your business. And, and I think you even said like, rejigger your KPIs to make it like results of people of color. And you know mm. what? To get those people of color, those results, you're gonna have to have a diverse work team. Like mm. that's, it's the right thing to do, but it's also, it's the smart thing to do is what I think you more or less said. Yeah. You, you remember that? Do you remember talking about that? Yeah, that's been a very big part of, you know, what I hope for is, you know, Listen, you know, I'm also pragmatic. I like how you said that. I mean, I'm I'm op I'm an optimist, but I'm also a business person. I understand the dynamics of how this works. And I just believe, Rob, for anything to sustain, you have to have mutual benefit. And if the relationship dynamic is on one end, people of color feeling respected, feeling valued, feeling safe, and on the other end, the value is it may not be as philanthropic. It may be, I have to move product. I have to keep people employed. I have to keep a business running. Those two sort of values have to meet. And I'm very, very determined to help our industry and our world understand how economically we yeah. can benefit from actually showing engagement with diverse communities. And I think the more that that comes out, Quite honestly, Rob, this is really on more of a personal level in my industry yeah. perspective. I'm fighting for more companies to come out and show the business case. You know, as we do this time and time again, and whenever we do it, we see tremendous results for our business. Does that make us good people? Maybe. Does it make us smart business people? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you want to run the business really well, you should be thinking this way.